Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Father and our King, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love and your presence this morning. We pray that your Word would go forth from Zion to the ends of the earth to encourage your people, O God, to um, edify and build up your community, O God. Um, that I would become less, that you would become more, and uh, that you would do a mighty work this morning, O God. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the service, um, for those who missed it, this is actually a special Shabbat. It's called Shabbat Parah, which begins to orient us toward what? Passover, yes. There's a special reading which involves the famous red heifer. That's why I'm wearing my, my red shirt today. And it was used to purify the Israelites in preparation for the pilgrimage to the temple, which was where? Jerusalem. I'm just seeing if you're following with me here. Okay. All right. So three weeks out, we're about three weeks out, you would start to um, prepare for this journey to remember the Exodus redemption story. This year, Passover coincides with uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, uh, which, of course, it does historically. The two events are, are linked in the Scriptures. The Spanish word for Easter is Pascua, right? Does that sound familiar? Pascua, yes. And uh, for, uh, for Passover, they say Pascua Judia, which is like the Jewish Pascua, which, you know, it's kind of funny. But anyway, um, so we see that these are, these are connected, okay? Many church communities during this season um, are preparing similarly for the redemption story of Easter. And our brothers and sisters at Redeemer Anglican, they're in uh, the Lenten season, right? Not Lentil, but Lenten, right? And that's uh, a season where they're oriented toward the death and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. So the Jewish community is orienting itself toward Passover, and the uh, Christian community is orienting itself toward uh, the uh, resurrection. So I thought, as a Messianic Jewish community, we could do both since they, are, they, since they go together. Is that, yeah, I get, have some applause over there. So that sounds good to everyone? All right. All right. So in our community, we just celebrated the Feast of Purim, right, which actually orients us toward uh, Passover. There's redemption in that story. I don't know if you realize that, that, that points us forward toward Passover. There's a reason that the two feasts are together. Um, part of the story actually takes place during Passover. Now, is this a coincidence No, we know from the story of Esther that the timing of things is very important. It is by God's plan and design. If you look at the whole story of Esther, you see that. And, of course, the story of our lives. Okay, so when is Passover? When does it actually occur? 
It's the middle of, it's the 14th of Nisan, okay, very good, which is actually the first month in, in biblical terms. When they describe the first month, they mean Nisan, which is when uh, the Passover takes place on the 14th, okay? In the story of Esther, we have the wicked Haman, boo, he hatches a plan to annihilate the Jews, and the timing of this is very interesting, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but let's take a look at Esther chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. The king's secretaries were summoned on the 13th day of the first month. Huh. Everyone say, huh. Interesting. They wrote down all of Haman's orders to the king's army commanders and governors in all the provinces, and to the officials of every people, to each province in its own script, each people in their own language, everything was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by courier to all the royal provinces to destroy, kill, and exterminate all Jews from young to old, including small children and women, on a specific day, the 13th of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to seize their goods as plunder. Okay? So, look at the, look at the first uh, verse there. Haman sends out, wait, Haman sends out the news about this plan on what day? 13th of the first month, which is Nisan. So, what day is that in the Jewish, in the, in the biblical calendar? It's Erev. Erev Passover. It's the day before Passover, okay? And so, um, so let's follow this story and see what happens, okay? Verse 15 of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 gives us a little bit more information. So think about this decree has gone out, right, on the day before Passover to exterminate all the Jewish people. Coincidence? I think not, okay? At the king's order, the runners went quickly. They went quickly. And the decree was issued in Shushan, the capital. Then the king and Haman sat down for a drink together, but the city of Shushan was thrown into confusion. When Mordecai learned everything that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on his sackcloth and ashes, which is a sign of mourning, and went throughout the city lamenting and crying bitterly. Okay, so what do we think... Do we remember what Mordecai does after this, once he learns of this plot to exterminate all the Jewish people? He just keeps it to himself? No. He tells, he tells Esther, right? And do we think he tells her in a couple days, you know, when he gets around to it? No. He does it right away, okay? So we just saw the king's orders went out quickly, Right? To all, and, and, and Mordecai heard about it, and then, of course, he immediately told Esther, and that is where they decide that perhaps she has been put in her royal position for such a time as this. The timing, the timing is always there. And her plan is to begin a three-day fast, and her and her maidservants, right, as she approaches the king, okay? So because all this happened quickly, interpreters have looked at this, at the timing of this, and said, well, when did Esther begin her fast? It was 
Passover. It was probably the first day of Passover, right, when she should have been eating matzah, and uh, at that time they had the Passover lamb, although they were in exile, so that's another issue. But she would have been having a feast, right, of Passover and enjoying the matzah. But instead, she is fasting, we have the opposite, okay? Very interesting. So it's, it's, it's another redemption story, right? It's the salvation of the Jewish people, but uh, just like it was in Exodus, overlaid here, but it's, it's different. And so what's, what's going on here? And why, why, why is this, there this connection? And my sense is that it has to do with the theme of exile. Exile, okay? Now stay with me. Why? were the Jews in Babylon for the Esther narrative in the first place? Go ahead. (laughs) We disobeyed God, right? So we were exiled, right? We were outside of our home. Remember, the temple in Jerusalem that we've been talking about is, and is, the, is the tabernacle 2.0 that we've been reading about, that is the center of what? God's presence, okay? He was supposed to dwell among his people, but we fell into such gross idolatry and violence and injustice. We were kicked out of the promised land, okay? And in the process, the temple, which was supposed to be the center of God's will and his presence, it was destroyed, the focal point of our entire faith is gone, okay? Does this mean that God is no longer with us? By no means, right? And this is the tension of being in exile. We're in exile because of our own sin, our own transgression, but God is constantly, continually rescuing us and finding a way to dwell among us even when we are far from Him, even when we're banished or exiled from His presence. His presence often comes to us in these remarkable ways. And then that's how you get the story of the Exodus. That's how you get the story of Purim. That's, That's redemption. Okay? So, but where do we see this exile idea? Well, originally, remember in the creation, we were exiled from somewhere. Where was that? The garden, right? We were banished. We were kicked out because why? We rejected God's kingship, right? And we were influenced by another kingdom. That's the kingdom of the serpent. We'll come back to that. But God promised to solve this problem. It's a human problem once for all himself by transforming our hearts so that he could dwell among his people again. And he said one day he's going to crush the head of that serpent through a son of Eve. Okay? But we, we recognize that much of, much of our history is spent as wanderers in exile. A lot of the story. Remember, Abraham spent most of his life outside of the promised land. He was kind of waiting for the promises. Okay? Moses started off in the palace in Egypt, and then he was a wanderer for 40 years in the land of Midian until he was called by God out from a burning bush to lead his people, right? But even then, they didn't go directly back to the promised land, right? There was, uh, there was some more waiting that had to take place, okay? 
So we see that when we rebel against God's kingship and we fall into gross disrespect and violence and injustice in the land, we're, we're always exiled, right? It happens in the, the 40 years in the wilderness. We don't want to trust God to lead us and we trust his authority, his kingship. So we try to do things our own way and then we end up exiled again in the desert, okay? So it's kind of a pattern, right? And... Uh, According to most scholars, by the time of Esther, we've already been exiled for more than 70 years. So a lot of Jews had actually gone back to the promised land, right? The, the, the time of the official exile was over. And yet, here we are still in Babylon, still under these crazy kings like Ahasuerus, right? Who send out these crazy decrees and we're still uh, affected by the evil Haman, right? And if you read the story of Esther, it's full of, of drunkenness and ungodly behavior, particularly the king. Like, these are not uh, morally upright people. And there's, you notice there's no mention of God in the story, right? It centers on a plot to wipe out the Jewish people from off the face of the earth. This is the, the primary example of what it feels to be in exile, right? To be far from God's presence. And yet, and yet, God's presence is there exiled with us. Can we say exiled with us? Amen. Redemption was renewed, but it looked different for Esther than it did for Moses. He brought us out of Egypt on the 14th of Nisan, and God worked deliverance for the Jewish people on the same date for Esther, but in a different way. Remember, she was fasting, right? And then God saved us, okay? So even in exile, God still accomplishes his salvation, and he defeats evil, and he dwells with us. Let me say that again. Even in exile, God accomplishes his purpose of salvation. He confronts and defeats evil, and he dwells among us. In the land of Egypt, Pharaoh is defeated by his own hard heart, right? And the idolatry and evil are confronted, and the Israelites are rescued, okay? There's a pattern here, okay? In the land of Babylon, Haman is hung, wait, Haman is hung on his own gallows, the ones that he built for Mordecai, and the Jewish people are saved, Okay, there's a connection between all these redemption stories. And there's the problem and the solution of exile is one way to kind of link them together. Because we see there's a tension there that God is both distant, we're far from him, and yet at the same time, he is always near to us. He's always close. If the kingdom of Haman and the evil Pharaoh could boo him too, is successful. Think about if that was successful in annihilating the Jewish people, what they tried to do. What would that mean? That would mean that there would be no mediation of blessing. God created, called out the people of Israel for a purpose, and he preserved the Jewish people for his namesake so that he could dwell among them no matter what to bring about redemption, right? If, if, uh, if Pharaoh had succeeded, or if Haman had succeeded, there would be no 
Yeshua the Messiah to be born into the Jewish people. But we know that God's purpose cannot be thwarted. The word for exile in Hebrew is very interesting. It's gola, and it had, and the root of it is gala, which is it, it's related to um, the word for uncover or reveal. Okay, so exile is somehow related to uncovering or revelation. And I believe that there's, uh, this is not a mistake. There's something that is revealed, that is uncovered only in exile, only when you're far from home. Remember, the, the Esther story, it never mentions God. There's no mention of the temple. There's no mention of Jerusalem. There's no mention of the Torah. There's no mention of Exodus or Passover that's happening at the same time as the fast. But does that mean that Esther and Mordecai have forgotten the redemption from Egypt? I don't think so. See, a lot of, a lot of interpreters and a lot of rabbis, they're very critical of, of Esther and Mordecai. And they're saying, well, they, should be, they shouldn't be fasting, right? They should be keeping the commandment. They should be eating matzah, right? But God was doing a new thing at that time. He was revealing something, revelation in redemption. And this, it provides a new way to see God's salvation. Think of all the epic, like an epic movie that you really love, right? What, what happens to the heroes? They experience exile, right? And then they're, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get back, right? They're always trying to get back home where they belong, right? What does E.T. want to do? Remember E.T.? Phone home, right? He wants to phone home. Why? Because he's exiled, but he wants to get back. What about Finding Nemo and Finding Dory? Raise your hand if you've seen that. What is that all about? Getting home, right? But the journey, the, the entire movie takes place in the exile, right? The bulk of the movie is, and that's where the characters learn the meaning of family and identity and love, and the characters grow and change in the exile so that when there's redemption, when they come back home, it actually means something. There's revelation in the exile. These films capture our imaginations. They capture our hearts because we, we know this to be true. We know that our lives are primarily in exile as well. Okay? The, I'm going to come back to that, but I want to mention the Haftarah portion that Eric talked about for this week, it also reflects this idea. It comes from Ezekiel, right? And uh, just as a a background, Ezekiel was uh, supposed to be um, a priest. He had studied all his life, and he's sitting by uh, the river in, guess where? Babylon, right? And he's kind of sad, and it's his uh, 30th birthday, and uh, that is the, the, the time when he's supposed to be installed as a priest in the temple, right? But he can't because exile. He's not there. There's no temple. It's been destroyed. So he's sitting, sitting kind of sad. And he has a vision of God's presence, right? It's kind of strange, but there's wheels, right? And then there's these four heavenly creatures. And on top of that is a throne, and it's the throne of Hashem. And God's throne is supposed to be in the temple. And here it is in Babylon. He's seeing it in exile, right? And so the, that's one of the th- 
<clears throat> excuse me, the themes of Ezekiel is seeing God, um, God's presence in exile. And uh, this is the, the Haftar portion for this week. Um, this is from Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 16. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to get some water. You can take a break and and start to read it if you like. Okay, shall we read it together? The word of Adonai came to me. Human being, in uh, in other translations it says, son of man. When the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their manner of life and their actions. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of Nidah. That's um, um, the menstrual um, fluid. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them because of the blood they had shed in the land. That's violence, right? And they defiled it with their idols. That's taking something else and rejecting the kingship of God, right? It's the same thing. And and Ezekiel is, is describing, this is why we were exiled, I scattered them among the nations and dispersed them throughout all the countries. I judged them in keeping with their manner of life and actions. When they came to the nations they were going to, so even when they they got out there, they still profaned my holy name. So that people said of them, these are Adonai's people who have been exiled from his land, right? They're supposed to represent him. But I am concerned, notice this, about my holy name, which the house of Israel is profaning among the nations where they have gone. Mm. It's the opposite of what they're supposed to do. Therefore, tell the house of Israel that Adonai Elohim says this, I'm not going to do this for your sake, house of Israel, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have been profaning among the nations where you went. I will set apart my great name to be regarded as holy, since it has been profaned in the nations. You profaned it amongst them. The nations will know that I am Adonai. Let's say that together. The nations will know that I am Adonai, says Adonai Elohim, when before their eyes I am set apart through you to be regarded as holy. So even though they messed up and then they were scattered to all the nations, right? What does the Lord say? I'm still going to use you in even a new way, a profound way, because now you're actually among the nations, right? That they're in exile, but this is part of their journey, right? Now they are among the nations, and God will make his name holy by somehow restoring them, right? And then after he restores them completely and brings restoration, he will bring them where? Back home, okay? Do we see this? The whole idea is there. Exile because of sin. But even in exile, notice that Israel is still called to bless the nations and represent God's name. No matter where we are, even if we are far from the Lord, does that change our identity and our calling? By no means, right? That is irrevocable. There is an even greater redemption that Hashem had in mind. It couldn't have happened if the Israelites stayed home, right? But he used the fact that they were exiled, right? He used their journey. Yes, they are going through intense difficulty, right? They lost their temple. They lost their homes. 
And just like in every epic movie, right, they, they, when they're in exile, there's intense suffering. But the prophets remind us there is always hope. There is always hope because the nations will know that Hashem is Lord through Israel's suffering, through Israel's exile, redemption, and then ultimate return home. The nations will see that and know that the Lord of Israel is Lord. Amen? There was a man from Galilee who went through the same journey. There was an evil king named Herod who wanted to kill all the babies who were recently born because he had heard there was another king being born, the Messiah. This should remind us of the Exodus story, right? And so the Messiah was exiled to Egypt, right? And then he was brought back when everything was safe. But notice this time, right, that he finds sanctuary in Egypt, right? It's not, uh, it's not the way it was. It's, it's redeemed, right? Exile is, is, is transformed, and it's different this time, okay? Yeshua, the Messiah, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, right? He was exiled from comfort and food and water, and he was alone in the wilderness, right? And he was walking out the wilderness journey, the exile of the Israelites. But notice that this time it's different because he does not give in to the kingdom of Haman, the kingdom of the serpent. Yes, he doesn't give in to that the way the Israelites did. So that kingdom tries to approach him, and, he, and Yeshua responds, and he says that he will only bow to God. He proclaims the kingship of God alone, okay? And this is the primary thing that God was trying to instill in the Israelites that he is finally doing through Yeshua the Messiah, right? A lot of Yeshua's ministry took place in the promised land, right? They weren't in literal exile, but... They were exiled spiritually. They were experiencing the pain and suffering of being far from the presence of God. And Yeshua brings them near. He brought the presence of God to them during his three-year ministry. Notice what he did. He cast out the unclean spirits. What did that bring? It brought purity to Israel. Okay? Notice he healed their diseases right? He brought redemption in their bodies and in their nefesh, in their souls. His ministry was a ministry. The entire thing was restoration. He was continuing what God started in Genesis to use the times of exile as a way of being far from God to draw us back near to God, to bring about restoration and hope and renewal. He's the fulfillment of all those prophetic hopes that Ezekiel and Isaiah were talking about. There was another redemptive event that coincided with the Feast of Passover, besides what Esther did when she fasted in Babylon. Of course, I'm talking about Yeshua. The lambs were being slaughtered for the Passover meal at the same time, in the same date, in the calendar, as Yeshua, when he went to the execution stake, which is commonly called 
the cross. Okay? Remember what the prophet said. Okay? Ezekiel goes on to say that God himself will give us a new heart. Okay? And he will bring restoration. Excuse me, I lost my, lost my place here. Thank you, Lord. He will give us a new heart so that we can keep his commandments. He will defeat the kingdom of Haman. Yes, once and for all. And he will bring restoration and healing and redemption through Israel to all nations of the earth. To all nations, he will bring redemption. He will use the experience of separation from God to bring about his redemptive purpose. The ultimate exile from the presence of God, Yeshua experienced this. He experienced this on the cross, on the tree, when he died. And remember he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was referring to Psalm 22, but also there's the pain of the exile, right? He was exiled from God's presence because he was carrying all the weight of the sin of our our sins and and the whole world. He was carrying that. The truth is that we are all, in a sense, exiled. 1 Peter 2, verse 11 says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In light of Yeshua's ministry, God is calling us, he's calling us to trust in the atoning sacrifice on the execution stake, and to be empowered by the Ruach to follow his commands, to set aside idolatry, right? To put God on the throne of our hearts and to pursue love. We are like wanderers. We're like wanderers. We are, it's as if we are exiled. We're in exile from, we are far from home. And I know a lot of you have experienced this in your lives. There's, we have a sense that we're not home, right? Yeah? And there's, there's an aching there. But it is only through allowing our lives to be part of what God is doing, God's redemption narrative, that we find our way back into his presence. He brings us back home. Through trusting in and obeying Yeshua, that is how we find our way home. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for um, Esther and Mordecai. We thank you for Moses, and we thank you for, um, especially for Yeshua the Messiah, who brings the fullness of redemption um, to Israel and to all nations. And we thank you that you even use times of being far from you. And I just pray right now, if there's any that can hear my voice that are far from you, Lord, that they would cry out to you, that you would bring salvation, that you would bring redemption and healing and restoration through Yeshua the Messiah, that they would know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they would put you on the throne of their hearts, O God. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.